of Tome to the Weather Machine podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Hall, and before I get to uh, the interview with Ophir Klemperer, I have a few apologies to get out of the way. First, I have a sinus infection right now, so if my voice wasn't nasally enough, uh, this must be sheer torture for you. But I wasn't having a sinus infection when I spoke to Ophir, so don't worry, the, uh, the interview's fine. Second, I've been really slacking on these podcasts. Um, there's been a lot going on in my life. Good things, like really good things. I graduated from my MSW. Uh, I got my licensure. Um, I'm now a licensed social worker and I got a full-time job and we bought a house. So, um, pending the bank doesn't, uh, look at all of our spending and assets and decide that we can never be homeowners, but pending that goes well. We will be moving into a house in the north side of Cincinnati uh, in a couple weeks, so that's really exciting. But in the in the meantime, uh, podcasting has kind of fallen by the wayside. I promise now that I've got a kind of a, a real schedule, uh, I'm going to get back on it, and I've got a, a bunch of interviews sort of in in the hopper that I think are really really good. This being one of them, I'm really excited uh, to share this one. This is um, probably a, a whole. Old, whole lot of you may be unfamiliar with Ophir um, and his work. And Ophir is really interesting because most of the people who I talk to are sort of DIYers when it comes to experimental music. Uh, they hear stuff, um, you know, maybe at first they try to emulate it or they <coughs> um, just just do it um, because they want to uh, they want to experiment with, with with sounds that they think are interesting. Ophir is a little bit different. Uh, Ophir comes to us f 
from a an academic background. He was um, trained at uh, in in the Hague at the Royal Danish Conservatory. Um, his main instrument of choice is the Korg MS twenty, um, which you will hear in, in the songs that I intersperse. Um, he's he's self released records. Uh, solo records of, of just himself and um, online he's got lots of different um, compositions that, that he's done with ensembles and stuff like that. Um, Ophir, besides playing out under his own name, um, is currently part of uh, the Sun Knight, uh, I guess, collective ensemble um, that plays every Sunday night at the Comet, um, which is a great bar in, here in Cincinnati. Uh, with uh, Josiah Wolf, uh, who is the drummer for Y, um, plus some other, you know, plus Doug and Matt from Y, and then uh, a whole wide range of uh, of musicians who sit in, mostly pulled from like the jazz world um, here in Cincinnati. But Ophir is one of the uh, one of the mainstays uh, playing it, playing the Korg MS Twenty up there. Uh, th that's how I was first introduced to Ophir. Um, is, is going to those, and I really, really um, enjoy this interview. You will notice that uh, Ophir is not from America. He's actually Israeli. Uh, he's from Haifa, Israel, um, and then I think spent some time in Tel Aviv. We'll get into the whole timeline and then um, moved to the Hague and then met his wife, uh, I think, over there, and then moved to Cincinnati, of all places, where she's from. And uh, I'm really happy to report has found a really sort of nurturing community of uh, of people who are really into his music or you know come out to uh, come out to his stuff. So yeah, I mean I think that I think that says a lot about Cincinnati, the type of um, the type of city it is, and uh, the the people who really make up the the general body of. Uh, the, sort of the music listening public. Um, it's really inspiring, and uh, it, it's a really great interview. I was really, um, I was, I'm really appreciative that he sat down and that we were able to chat. He's always been somebody who's really, really interesting to me. So I hope you enjoy the interview. I promise my voice is not as nasally in it. Um, just for a little bit of background, we recorded the interview in the basement of another part of the forest um, in Cincinnati's OTR neighborhood. So there are some people, very rarely people come down there, um, but there are some people browsing um, throughout it, but it doesn't affect it. Anyway, um, I hope you enjoy the interview. Um, I, I'm really happy to give, hopefully, uh, Ophir a little bit more exposure to his recorded stuff. I think a lot of people have probably seen him play live here in Cincinnati, but um, his, his recorded stuff is just a treasure trove of really, really amazing stuff. I was... I was blown away when I started going through it. Um, so, yeah, enjoy, and I will be back next week with another interview with another very interesting individual. Until then, talk to you later. Bye.
<laughs> would Bruce Fing so okay he so had the the flag oh like yeah the, the thing like uh, that's the, right yeah the bandana yeah yeah did you so that was did you walk around uh, with the American flag bandana? no just like a sponge <laughs> thing yeah yeah around yeah that's right thinking and and singing Bruce Springsteen yeah born in the USA yeah so that's actually a great segue thanks Ophir. <laughs> no problem <laughs> we can talk about um, early uh, early memories of uh, of music that. Like you remember hearing and being impactful. Yeah. Um, so we know Bruce Springsteen was made it over yeah, there. Yeah, Bruce Springsteen. Uh, that's I. I grew up on the stuff that my mom and dad mm-hmm. uh, were listening to. And my dad used to listen to jazz. My mom was more like a Jimi Hendrix fan and Beatles and uh, Pink Floyd. Mm-hmm. So I was actually exposed to to Pink Floyd around age, yeah, like seven or eight. Okay. Yeah, so I, I already, like, listened to cassettes uh, of The Wall uh, around this age. Yeah. Um, and my dad used to listen to John Coltrane. That No, he didn't, he didn't really listen to it. It's just something that I found in his... Uh, in his collection, mm-hmm. who, who, would he he li- mo- who would he listen to? He would listen more to to Louis Armstrong mm-hmm. and uh, something more more appealing somehow. Mm-hmm. I, I then I found through his stuff the Dizzy Gillespie, but the the more Afro stuff like Swing Swing Low, Sweet Cadillac, mm-hmm. and. Uh, John Coltrane, the Love Supreme. Suddenly, mm-hmm. we I found a cassette of Love Supreme, and I was just what what the hell is this? You know, in the car, mm-hmm. and just like he was just recording stuff. I think what what he was doing is recording stuff from the radio and listening to it in the car, and then every time we heard some weird stuff, and then we found I found this one and listened to that for a while. I didn't really study it. Like I'm not a jazz freak. I don't mm-hmm. like jazz at all. <laughs> but uh, that was. I was more into yeah. In this age, I I we were listening to my brother was listening to Metallica and Guns N' Roses and all that. And I got influenced by that. My brother was he's uh, he's like I, he was a hyperactive kid. Mm-hmm. And he would fall asleep to Enter Sandman and the whole album, <laughs> like uh, yeah, yeah. also ride ride the lightning. We just like we had these big speakers in the living room, yeah, living room, and he would just like lay down with the head between the speakers, blast and fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, I I learned to like this. I didn't like Metallica, but I I really loved Guns N' Roses. <laughs> really, really. Yeah, yeah. I I we had like a whole thing with X and Rose, and then it was around the time that they actually came to Israel. I was too young to go to the to the mm-hmm. show, and there was this. Uh, it was the time of the show that they did uh, for Freddie Mercury. Um, in his memory, mm-hmm. and then that's the first time that we actually saw Guns N' Roses on stage, and I remember saw my brother looking at the TV, and 
since then he I had all this he never listened to them again after really? he saw him, after he saw him on stage do you think like why do you think that was because he never connected the face <laughs> to he didn't like Axel he didn't like no the way he was Axel just Rose like oh my liked. god this is bullshit I don't know <laughs> He went with his underwear. I mean, for me, it was just unbelievable to see like a person with no limits mm -hmm. whatsoever. Mm -hmm. I still, I still in my eye, I, a lot I, of cocaine. Yeah, I, I, I find this, this guy fascinating. Axel. Like he's my first rock star hero. Yeah, I, mean, I didn't understand at the time that the like the reference of what they were doing. I mean, people. I remember that there was some talk about Led Zeppelin, but I was not aware of Led Zeppelin at all. Mm -hmm. I was aware of, of Pink Floyd and uh, all that. That We're talking about age, yeah, like 8, 9, up to 12, you know, and then exposed to all the Nirvana stuff. Mm -hmm. that, and still, until today, I mean, this is stuff that I would listen to, except Guns N' Roses, no. Of course, that's that's done. <laughs> Come I on, just, you, you, you nowadays, nowadays I'm just searching videos of Axl Rose <laughs> get mad and leave the stage. There are <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundreds yeah. of these. Oh, I bet. Who threw a coin? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Good Show's night. over. Show's over. Show's good night. Over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this but is amazing. You I think can, it's you, like but you can still you can still sit through like that intro to like Sweet Child of Mine. Nah, you know, like I wouldn't I wouldn't be in, I I was not I I was more into the. The long videos, like November the Estrange, Rain, Estrange, Estrange, oh, okay. with the dolphins. I don't think I've seen, oh with the I don't think I've seen this. If it's this with is dolphins. like by the end of their of their it's like bloated things. rock star, yeah. like huge budget. No, I remember it's one of the last videos that they did for Use Your Illusion. Okay, and I remember November Rain. It's like that was an it's epic the one. most no no no. Strange is actually much more epic. It's really? the one with the with the dolphins. helicopter. He's like he's drowning in the sea, and then the <laughs> The drummer is coming with the helicopter to <laughs> save him, you know, and it's like a whole huge uh, Titanic there. I don't know. It's like I, I remember it as a kid, but it was unbelievable, you know. And there was amazing images going with that, like mm -hmm. the dolphins, like in the swimming pool, jumping out of a screen when he's walking in the street in I'll the have night. To check this out. Yeah, it was amazing. Thank God for YouTube. Yeah, it's pro yeah, it's. And the no, what helped, what what struck me was the the guitar riff there. Mm. I mean, it's carved. If you listen to my music, it's there. Okay, yeah. <laughs> these these chords are there. Um, that's Guns N' Roses right there. <laughs> um, I I have special spot for for them. Yeah, I was always uh, I was always really like emotional, like very like emotion, like anything that was like over the top emotional, like yeah. I. would gravitated towards that so like that november rain video where he's like playing piano like in the rain like yeah. that spoke to me <laughs> like that really really i got that yeah yeah but i mean it was a time that you you wouldn't i mean the mtv was just we were just exposed to the first stuff no actually yeah it's it's really like that we didn't have mtv we would just have some sort of afternoon uh, uh program that shows some videos mm -hmm. so i remember seeing like uh and that's what stick the most was actually check uh, what you want of Beastie Boys. Oh yeah, that's a great video. With that the, video the just blew my mind. Yes. Yeah, I love yeah. that. And I, I just didn't believe 
what I see. And since then, I mean, that was the first CD that I bought. Okay. When, when CDs started. Yeah, yeah. So you were listening like, to stuff, was it on... Um, cassettes. Cassette, okay. Yeah. And it was, did vinyl, was vinyl big in Israel? Uh, only later. Okay. Was, oh, like no, was, that's you're, a, like an 18-year-old. Your, your, your parents, like, your parents, did they have vinyl or did they, they have did. all cassette? They did have vinyl, but uh, as kids, we didn't okay. look at the vinyl. Yeah, yeah, it was all And all we were cassette. not allowed to touch the name. Oh, okay. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so, so buying buying a CD player, like, for me, like, for our family, that was a big yeah. deal. And yeah, it sounds yeah. like for your family, we had also. We had, like, the first, like, really huge, just in the size, like, just a bit bigger than the CD thing yeah. of yeah. Sony, you know? Yeah. With these big buttons on it. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, you hear the thing... Like it was the first CD, like one of the first CDs. Yeah. I remember the si remember the six CD changers, like that sound that I made, like yeah. We had one uh, later on, yes. Yeah. My Sal, my brother, had this when he was uh, eighteen. Mm -hmm. So I was fourteen. That's the time that we. And, and so started. I mean, maybe we should play a little bit of backup here. So mm. okay, you are from Haifa. Haifa, Israel. Mm -hmm. Can you? Yeah. Uh, where in Israel? Haifa is, is the. If you look at the at Israel, at the shore, of uh, there is a, a bay on mm -hmm. the pretty close to Lebanon in the north, mm -hmm. and the the spot like that corner of the bay uh, is Haifa. Okay. So pretty pretty big city. Well, not in your, not in American right, terms, but, in but uh, it's the it used to be the third big city in like in Israel. Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. Yeah, I think I actually don't know these days which which city is bigger, mm -hmm. Tel Aviv or Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. Probably Jerusalem, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, it used to be like these two and then Haifa. But these days, I'm not sure because uh, Haifa. What they say is that uh, it. They used to call it the the sleeping city. Okay. <laughs> because it's like uh, you grow up there. It's uh -huh. a mountain mm -hmm. on the beach. Okay. Okay. So it's super green, a lot of a lot of green, and you can and you have beach that you can walk for probably four or five hours straight oh, wow. south. Mm -hmm. And so for kids, it's amazing, mm -hmm. amazing way to to grow up. Um, but then, eighteen people uh, joined the army, and then w and they never come back. Mm -hmm. So there are there are students, but actually the, uh, the I don't know much about the Haifa University. Yeah, they started some music uh, academy there, f like probably six or seven years ago, I think. And this is not informed, so I, I shouldn't talk about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's right. I forgot that Israel had that conscription. Were were you in the mil? Like, did you have to join the military? I was, but uh -huh. uh, I served uh, a year and two months. Uh -huh. uh, it took me four months to to leave. Mm -hmm. um, I claimed insane, mm. and then they took my license for weapon. And once you don't have a license for weapon in Israel, in the army, you're you're not needed. Mm -hmm. And I I actually had a whole crisis with that, in in the beginning. But then I met so many people my age outside the army that I understood that actually something is happening. Mm. Like, that I was not aware of. I met a lot of amazing people, uh, friends until today, mm -hmm. uh, that 
did the same. I, what I can say about this, we shouldn't talk about it that much. But yeah, yeah. in this situation, as as it is now in in 2015, uh, beginning of 2015, I recommend to find the the information about how many Israeli sol soldiers committed suicide and how many Israelis left Israel uh, in the last five to eight years. Mm. And, and, and you're saying there's some correlation with conscripted military I, no like the I know that the the suicide rate in in the army I, I you will never hear that it's high but mm -hmm. I I wouldn't be surprised uh, to find that it's uh, another lie mm -hmm. beside everything yeah. else that is happening there yeah um, well we, we could probably fill up a whole podcast to talk yeah, about, about that yeah about that but um the, what, I, what I'm interested Haifa in. is is very boring city uh -huh. so it's like once you get to a like to age 18 or especially when I came back to Haifa after the army there mm -hmm. is nothing to do there it's just like Israel is kind of designed for you to move yeah. to Tel Aviv <laughs> okay uh, or Jerusalem yeah. most of my friends lived in both these mm -hmm. cities and still do and then move out mm -hmm. from Israel uh, so in Haifa you get like this kind of uh, a gap of ages. You get like people until a until uh, eighteen mm -hmm. high old. school, and then suddenly thirty, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> or even I don't know something like that. Because there is a big high tech uh, situation. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like um, so it sounds like you were exposed to a lot of American pop culture that made it over there. How, and I guess the, this whole podcast is sort of exploring how did you get from listening to um, Guns and Roses, Guns and Roses <laughs> to like studying the Korg, you know, like yeah, synthesizers yeah. and stuff like in in the Hague. What um what were were there some important early like discoveries and quote unquote experimental music or avant garde music that you realized this is there's more than just um exported American um, pop culture, uh, epic MTV music videos? Um, there, are, there are several ways to... There, it's a lot of things happen in, this, uh, in parallel, you know, but uh, I was a piano student mm -hmm. since this age, around eight, uh, classically trained until mm -hmm. I did a recital in age 18, I played Rachmaninov and Bach and uh, Gershwin and all that. But in the same time, I was exposed to completely other music that is not translated to... the. That I didn't have any connection between the two. Mm -hmm. So I had an old piano teacher that taught me how to gain uh, techniques uh, through the classical pieces, all these Brahms and all that, which is awesome. I'm really happy about that. But I also started developing, like when I was already 18, then I, I listened to Tool, and, you yeah, know, like, yeah, yeah. you know, and uh, still all, all this, of course, Radiohead and all that. And uh, you see, I mean, pop, pop music has so much... Um, 
especially in the recorded in the recorded music there is in, in studio work there is so much more uh, timber mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know sound colors the stuff that uh, all this stuff that you don't have that the classical world don't don't have vocabulary to and uh, still like you get uh, they don't There is it's very difficult to talk about these nuances because it's so specific and I think it all came all these things come from uh, just uh, trial and error and what sounds right and what sound or just let it be that way you know uh, uh, findings of course sergeant pepper all this stuff but then uh, I didn't listen to Stockhausen as a kid <laughs> there were kids that were that were uh, in in age sixteen and uh they didn't benefit from it, or maybe mm-hmm. they did because they are not interested in it anymore okay <laughs> yeah, I think for me it was actually because i I wasn't exposed so much to uh really experimental music um it gave me a chance to explore it later on so and to to keep that process to myself. So I started uh, I did study in a junior high in a music school. I uh, did all my solfege and I had like a teacher that uh, taught us uh, how to write uh, music, like invent music. So uh, she started from it was a, just a solfege work of like just writing the notes of uh, a Bach aria. And then uh changing the bass and writing a new bass uh or writing a new writing a new melody on top of that, erasing the the soprano, all that stuff, and making it musical in the same time, there was like I just used to practice the piano and just like getting more and more into repetitive stuff that sounds more um You know gothic or or industrial or th- that kind of stuff, but still, I never opened the piano to touch the strings okay you never like that prepared piano stuff no, as a kid, no mm-hmm. and then I moved uh after the army i I moved from my parents' house and i I just didn't have a piano anymore. Mm-hmm. And then i I got exposed to a lot of other music I met a lot of um people you know you do this trip I did a trip to India I did uh, mm-hmm. all this like you know you you broaden broaden your uh perception somehow and p- meet people that show you new music you know funnily enough, it always goes back to the sixties mm-hmm. of course everybody yeah, yeah. know that because uh there is i i think it's just that the all the experiment all the experimentation was released. Right, That's in, in, into is. the pop world. Look where we're yeah. at. Exactly. We're sitting here in a bunch of <laughs> records, and it's just like there is some band that just, you know, they got into the studio, they took an acid and, mm-hmm. and just played some stuff. They found some stuff, and it's on, on vinyl. Like hair. And, well, hair is not that, <laughs> but uh, there are others. Well, you know? that, is that era, yeah? Yeah, it's that era, but I'm um, talking... I mean, there is always... 
deeper that you can go. You will oh, always yeah, yeah, no, find I'm, another I'm another band that was whoa, I never heard of them. And of course you didn't because yeah, they, but they are released. They have which, which is there. which is crazy thinking about how expensive it is to yeah no put but that's it wasn't then yeah yeah and record companies were a lot different back then as well did you see that small uh, 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 interview with Zappa when he talks about that he said he, you can find it he has this one thing that he's talking about the uh, the difference between the 60s 70s and now mm-hmm. it's probably the 80s mm-hmm. is that um, there was such a generation gap between the the record owners mm-hmm. the whoever was releasing the records and putting the money on the release then the artists that they just didn't know yeah what to do what what will work and what not so they gave everything yeah a chance yeah and see what happens and a lot of them just dropped and but they were still released and then later on um, somebody took that spot of saying that is going to work and that's not gonna work yeah and <coughs> And that was actually from from the same generation of the of the artists of the sixties, so the, it's, it's just yeah w- yeah that's it, yeah, so like the baby boomer, like the kind of the <laughs> people who benefited from just the open kind of do whatever you want became like mm-hmm. the record uh label a and r guy you know mm-hmm. who would scout new talent and yeah could kill something you know based yeah. on market you know exactly. uh, trajectory and um projections of But that was not then it didn't happen then, yeah, I mean they of course they tried, but they didn't know for sure what's yeah. gonna work and what's not and then but also the beautiful part of that is that uh you get uh people that were really like huh? unknown then being released, working their ass off then, and then thirty years later suddenly succeed, yeah, yeah, I don't know if it's gonna happen now, but uh I mean you can't rely on that that it's not that's like whoever is not getting exposed these days is gonna get exposed in the you can't it it's just something that happened well and and it maybe the um similarity would be like um. Just a glut of music on like bandcamp and Soundcloud and stuff you know one one of those artists being plucked from obscurity you know um and uh yeah I mean w- which has happened a lot especially in like like the hip hop world and um the kind of the electronic world yeah um like producers just getting like plucked from like obscurity by like big name producers and stuff yeah, that happened but that's true it's yeah. good to have the yeah. your stuff out there that's yeah, for sure absolutely. Um, I remember like in two thousand eight can you believe how how far away it is already two thousand eight I know it that seemed like fucked up where where was I in two thousand eight um I was still in college, yeah, yeah, but yeah, that doesn't seem far like it seems like worlds away, but also like two thousand eight seems like yeah just like and i was i was yeah also in the I was still in my bachelor mm-hmm. degree mm-hmm. in the Hague mm-hmm. um and I remember i I just met so many new musicians from all from so many different places, and we were just like uh, yeah tripping together and making music and we were we were thinking that we were making a we knew what's happening like we knew that uh it's the time for 
combination of like to get to the point I don't think we got there yet but we knew that <laughs> so it's you're like, in the Hague right now so you, you went to college uh, on okay. a scholarship or yeah. on a music no 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 uh, you don't need a scholarship you didn't need a scholarship really yeah. tuition to the Hague school in 2006 mm-hmm. was 1200 euros really for yes and that's what I paid for seven years and, and what, I did the preparatory year there mm-hmm. it and was w- such an where, amazing where, where school. was this this is the Hague this is Royal, the Hague. Royal okay. Conservatory okay Royal Conservatory and that's like now uh, like three or four years ago but that's all again uh, completely we're traveling in time here but yeah. like uh, the Netherlands cultural uh, whatever is in decline it was in a really long decline mm-hmm. uh, in the last seven years everybody that you that live there will tell you the same and then suddenly three years ago I think three or four suddenly like they cut the funding to the art in 50% wow and they they were the only country that actually brought in foreigners gave them visa to do their got funded to do their art experiment with it whatever they wanted and and let them stay there to develop their career mm. in the Netherlands and so th- that's and that you, was you were, you were part of that I wasn't I was just oh. a student there okay. and I saw it decaying in front of our hands some some friends of mine are still there trying and the generation before us, whoever got uh, the funding before, was uh, still mm-hmm. still getting it. All my teachers are are fighting like crazy. This is a political situation there, uh, but uh, but it's such a conf- comfortable place that any any fight will be lost. You yeah. know, <laughs> it's yeah. like there is nothing, it is nothing. It's just it's dead. Mm-hmm. It's dead. I'm sure. So, I mean, so yeah, I whatever I, I wish to the Netherlands that actually the, all the foreigners will just leave and okay. they will be stuck with their own <laughs> <laughs> shitty art. And so you were there. So you you got there, um, mm. and uh, you said you started kind of experimenting with them. Um, so I I got you were kind of in this academic institution where you, if you want the the full story is like I in 2006 I I was already living four years in Tel Aviv. I did. A, I had a band there. We were practicing some sort of a fish thing. Okay. Like yeah, a, like a jam band, band but yeah, Israeli. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Israeli jam yeah. band. Yeah, Israeli nice. jam band with Israeli lyrics, and uh, and like we tried to write some stories, fun, mostly in rehearsals. We never got to really perform because there is no audience in Israel. Yeah. You, yeah. Is there like a live? Like, can you go out and play like you can here in Cincinnati? No, or no. Cincinnati is the most engaging. Uh, culture that I've seen until now, mm-hmm. like people are actually yeah, people, going people out go to, to shows. see to yeah. see new stuff. Yeah. Yes, um, um, I actually think Cincinnati is awesome. Yeah, so do I. I. I think it's underrated, and it's mostly because it's not international. But it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hope it's gonna. I don't know. I hope I. I, I like the way it is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so what happened is that I I lived there for four years. I let's um, I bought a, a 
because I didn't have a piano, I bought this uh, Yamaha fake piano mm -hmm. with banks with banks mm -hmm. and uh, I was so I, I was trying just to practice piano you know it was a Yamaha S80 it had like all the different sounds uh, really a lot a lot of banks and it had the, the possibility to to change the parameters mm -hmm. of every sound to put tremolo on piano sounds to to cut the the release to control release and attack and all this add reverb add different effects within this uh, machine it's an amazing machine full size keys like full full like 88 key keys i mean i miss this everything that i i don't have i miss like every instrument that i had i miss but uh, I sold it because I wanted a piano and then so that's how I got into this experimental stuff mm -hmm. actually so I got into sounds so through that process because I, I wanted a piano I couldn't afford because I didn't <laughs> I, I was moving all the time places I couldn't afford a piano to move a piano everywhere I go yeah, yeah, yeah. so I bought an electronic piano left all this uh, um, classical training like reading notes all that started read, writing songs playing my songs uh, i bought a four track this korg uh, no a 16 track the the 16 something like that again with a lot of effects uh, starting uh, you know home production um you know bedroom production yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's what we're talking about and uh, yeah, and uh, gave it to all my friends, and then performed. I had uh, I performed with a friend of mine, just piano and bass. Mm -hmm. Sometimes with also with drums, but it was such a. Uh, and then like afterwards, I started. I studied a bit in a jazz school. It was completely shit. But I bet I, I met their musicians. Mm -hmm. That's when I moved to Tel Aviv, like to start finding musicians. I met some musicians. We tried, uh, and then. To, the idea was to to take songs, practice them to a level that we know them by heart, and and just improvise on stage. That was always the the goal. Mm -hmm. To work, it still is like to have material that everybody know, and you don't have to play it on stage. Mm -hmm. You you it's just to bond to bond the the musicians together, and then surprise yourself on stage, and then maybe material comes, but it doesn't like to keep it alive you know um, and then at some point I I got fed up with that keyboard and I tried to buy a piano again <laughs> I found uh, some guy that was that told me that he's gonna teach me how to pre pre uh, fix pianos yeah. as a profession he sold me a piano with no hammers <laughs> and disappeared <laughs> so i had a piano with no hammers in my house at that point i had either and i i um, i met a girl that just moved to uh, the hague to uh -huh. study in the hague sonology electronics electronic music and then i was just like okay if i would have stayed there i would have started experimenting with the with the harp itself and everything mm. but i was so fed up 
with everything there. I was so disappointed. I sued the guy, I won, and I never got the money back. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was just... And then, and then, the second Lebanon war started. Oh. So I left my apartment in Tel Aviv. I moved, I applied to, to The Hague. I tried, uh, I tried to send my, you know, my details, my, all my application to The Hague. I was already in Haifa. And on a daily basis, for I think it was for a week, tried to get to the post office to send that thing, and just there are alarms. And I, I did also record within this. That was just uh, an insane uh, summer. So w- and then was I just, that kind I, of like during like conflict? Yeah, that yeah. was a war. Yeah. When when Israel bombed Beirut, mm-hmm. and burn it to the ground all this like you see these images that that was the first i no maybe not the first but uh it was a big uh reaction from the world that israel is having a a big a a, a overreaction you know because there were some missiles going on israel and then israel just lost their mind <laughs> but uh I was in Haifa, which is one hour away from Lebanon. Oh, yeah. And we got uh, bombed. Most of the reason that uh, you don't hear about it is because Israel is very secretive about where the missiles are going are falling. That's what, what they said. I don't, I don't recall anybody. Maybe just like one or two people were injured or killed. Mm-hmm. That's also very... I'm, I'm not informed. I just know that it, for me it was just I don't want to live in this even one more second. I just went on the last minute, bought a ticket, and the next day I was communicating with the guy from the school there to receive my application. The next day suddenly he met me. And that's it. <laughs> you were the, I was, you showed up. I showed up in the Hague <laughs> with all my stuff. Just like yes, gave I'm him here. the application in, in his hand. Yeah. <laughs> And stayed there the whole summer, like f- good two months before the start, the the year, the school year started, with an empty conservatory full of timpanis and pianos and electronics and a recording studio, wow. with full access to everything. <laughs> that was, and the street was so silent. The Hague is like. There is no scene in The Hague. There yeah, is yeah. just this, that school. Everything else is like, you know, there is the Minister of Justice where they supposed to oh, yeah, the, capture yeah, the war criminals. Uh, yeah, criminal like, court. Uh, yeah, the ICC. You know, war criminals, yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever happened to that term exactly. these days. Exactly, yeah. But... Uh, uh, didn't they, uh, they, they... They've done like one... Convi- like the... Like, I can't remember who, like... Uh, I was not following this. Yeah, Tanzania, or Congo, like one one person has like been like convicted, yeah. and they can't they can't extradite them. Yeah, so. I don't know, but <laughs> I mean, you can walk near the beach there and near the jail. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and the yeah, the conservator is really near, just a block from the Minister of Justice mm-hmm. and all that. So that was amazing, and I stayed there for seven years. I met the most amazing musicians I ever I. I mean, I lived there until two years ago, and uh, it kept. I'm 
seriously like I have their bonds I mean I'm not in contact with everybody but mm-hmm. people there opened my mind in in ways that never before and never again like, and and did that did they expose you to things like you, you mentioned Stockhausen earlier yeah so of course Stockhausen we did we performed my teacher was uh, he worked with Dick Reimarkers, which is a really known composer in the Netherlands, which is r- nobody else around the world knows him. I really recommend to check him out. Um, the name again? Dick Reimarkers. Okay. Um, the big, the, like the most known story about him is that Kubrick actually asked him first to, to do the music to Space Odyssey. Oh, really? And he refused. <laughs> and then he just chose some other stuff mm-hmm. which is legal all pre-recorded like all pre-recorded yeah. Yeah. yeah but he has some crazy shit and he he was like uh, anyway my teacher check the crime markers and mm-hmm. uh, my teacher is Helios van Berghaik and he studied for him is now 73 and yeah he was like from the beginning <laughs> from the beginning of electronic music basically um, you you never understand what is a DJ artist or like how a, a DJ can be a, a super educated musician mm-hmm. until you see like that guy touching a six tape reel to reel uh, and channeling them one to another and uh, creating um, I don't know, just amazing stuff. Like yeah. uh, like tape delays. Like I don't know even. It's ridiculous to say that 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 must be that's um, not what he's yeah yeah yeah. Strong in, but it's but like th- that must be so sp- splicing uh, like millimeters of tape to create a completely new piece. Yeah, that must be such a like liberating and like really amazing experience to. Uh, be sort of in the conservatory environment where that is like your your day to day. Because I feel like, um, especially a lot of Americans, you know, that the, they get into um, experimental music just sort of through like the DIY, you know, like you know, just messing with that stuff in their bedroom or something like that. Um, you need somebody to guide you too. Yeah. Through. Yeah, but th- that must be like an, an incredible experience to. Yeah to make that like or or to be surrounded by that by um by musicians who take their craft very seriously yeah so this i i i have i don't have enough amazing stuff to say about this department because it's uh i it's really like unbelievable the way that i at least in my generation i don't know about other people that uh, studied there but it was such an amazing group of musicians that each one was doing something completely different. Mm-hmm. And you get inspired by other people that you know that you're not going to go and do what they do, but you get some other ideas that... Uh, like con- It's mostly about concepts and how to... Yeah, there are so many... I mean, it's, it's been a, a piece of, like... <laughs> in, in, like, seven years, in my 33 years, of my mature life living there and, like, trying different things, trying 
also electronic stuff trying uh, do, again like doing this uh, band practice and then playing live trying channeling like having a uh, one guy with the mixer sending everybody else into channel and like into processing oh my god <laughs> maybe they got a part of that I don't know <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah and then in the end like the, the, their idea of there is like the Den Haag school the Hague school which is mostly about it's a concept it's a conceptual thing it's not it doesn't determine what what kind of music you make it's something in the back that uh, that is it's funny that it sounds so uh, it's so um, secular actually mm -hmm. <laughs> of just knowing what you want the, the audience to expect knowing that there is something that is not talked about in a piece because it's music and there is something that is not uh, not supposed to be in the surface that you go back home that uh, music is not supposed to be only entertainment it's supposed to give give you a way to th think about some stuff and a performance is not supposed to be completely comfortable because you can get that stuff that I really I appreciate that I, I learned there that you can have a you need to be 100%, yeah, in your show, but don't expect people to give you a compliment immediately after the show because they can, you can, you can aim to someone's, uh, you can aim to someone's uh, um, understanding in, in like a month from now mm -hmm. to really contemplate on, on that idea, yeah. figure out what, what happened because you, I, I saw a lot of shows there that were just like I, I, I didn't understand what I see, I didn't understand what I hear, but it, I left, I didn't know, I was just confused. I left, I went home, and then it just kept building up within me. Like, and then in months, suddenly uh, you understand something about music, about life, about anything. You know, like it, it just it keeps with you, and that's I think. If there is, I mean, that's one of the things that I learned there. Of course, there is also all the other stuff, <laughs> like writing for instruments and all, yeah. all that. that. That's one thing I really love about experimental music, and, and one thing that it's done for me um, is, so I mean, I grew up really religious where everything is black and white, good mm -hmm. and evil. Um, and when I sort of became, you know, for, I, I talk about it all the time, it's sort of a tolerance building, you know, for mm -hmm. me. Um that I stopped when when I started kind of really getting you know experience because music is difficult to get you know what yeah. I mean especially when you're seeing something you most of the time you have seventy percent idea no no idea what's going on mm -hmm. like or how they're doing it but um, to separate out like good and bad you know what I mean um, and just kind of accepting things as they are sounds as they are rather than like uh, associating like kind of clean like nicer tones with um, goodness mm -hmm. and uh, noisier uh, distorted tones with like yeah. bad or evil or something yeah and so yeah it, it's definitely helped um, develop my sense of how I see the world yeah um, and has has really kind of helped 
I mean, with every facet of, of my life, um, because realizing that there is no such thing as, like, necessarily, like, good or evil. It's just, it's all intentions kind of jumbled into yeah. one thing, and, and you can judge the output based on some sort of objective measures, but, you know, that doesn't always do it justice. Yeah, but there is always this, rela- I mean, whatever happens when you go to a show is that there is some relations between the stuff that you experience mm-hmm. and you can control that as a composer or the performer you're you're supposed to at least try as much as you can to i guess be aware of that and make choices you mm-hmm. know, of what what you want to keep to to have open what you want to actually yeah compose I mean, and then there is all this also within this. So we got to a point. There is a problem if you don't determine, for example, pitch. Mm-hmm. If you don't determine pitch, you can get a bunch of major chords there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, which is cool if that's what you want. But don't mm-hmm. imagine that you get like a a really rough noise when you don't. You decided not to determine. Don't imagine that. Uh, there is a really raw sound if you just decide to say like it's supposed to be loud because you can get a a super major chord there <laughs> that is loud that sounds beautiful exactly yeah 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 <laughs> and charming <laughs> you sort of stumble yeah, yeah. you want the, to intimidate the, the, something that works like, maybe against your intention or something yeah, yeah, yeah. like that yeah I mean, there is a relation, or you can you can get to an intimidating situation with a bunch of major chords as well. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Well, I mean, like I, the Swans, <laughs> you know, do that, and like yeah. you know, uh, like Rice Chatham, you know, they, they do that by playing major chords really, really, really loud, and yeah. like like a. Uh, uh, but you can build like a bunch. I mean, it's like yeah, yeah, you like know what you do, delayed you know? guitars, like you know, strumming yeah. o- like major chords over and over yeah. and over, but just like slight delays. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's one of my that's one of my favorite things. Like that that to me is just like I leave with like the hugest smile on my mm-hmm. face. If um when when I when I hear something like that, like yeah. really repetitive major chords being strummed at super extreme loud volumes, yeah. that's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I. I can't say the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I heard it's, it's doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. it's a, it's a uh, giddy thrill for me. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, I mean, but I, I mean, also there is a thing I wanted to discuss with you here. It's very strange to me that when I just arrived here, uh, I had I didn't realize how uh, people like talk about delay like they invented it <laughs> yeah <laughs> like when you talk about delay i mean it's such a norm here already it's like insane i mean you can just fucking play the delay yeah what do you play i play a delay pedal yep what what's the problem with just saying that why do you say like oh I loop stuff and, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, like <laughs> or like try to be complicated about it. Everybody know the delay already here. No, <laughs> I, I completely agree. And I, I think uh, especially a couple like especially a couple years ago, um, uh, like when like really loop heavy compositions were really mm. popular. Yeah, like I mean that's pretty much what people made their bread and butter on was just mm. like the delay pedal. 
No, I mean it's super effective. This, it's um, yeah, it's amazing. But it's, uh, I wonder how you, how do you play with other people with the delay? I mm. mean, how because it's such a heavy. It's it's filling the whole spectrum. Yeah, pretty quick. Yeah, if I mean you. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's there's a couple of bands that come to my mind that do it really well. Um, there's a band called Growing. Growing. Yeah, I should check them out. And then uh, Kevin Costner Suicide Pact is um how many people are four. there? Four. Um four in Kevin Costner Suicide Pact. I think there's three in growing. Uh-huh. Yeah. They, and then there is little... one guy on delay and the rest I think are I like... mean I think pretty much everybody is sort of like Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. That's good. Well we're kind we of talk... I'm I'm a little bit worried because we're kind of running out of battery. Um uh-huh. but uh so I mean this this conversation is we're definitely into the meat of what I like talking about. Yeah. Um, right. And so, I mean, we could, I, like, this is, yeah, this is the whole reason why I have this podcast. Yeah. So we get to this point where we just start talking about music and ideas. And um, I just wanted to add yes. in this that it's just like, I found in the end that my instrument, because I play with, I mean, I came from the piano and mm-hmm. I record tons of channels at home myself. But when I play with people, I found that the monophonic synth, you play one note. You give other people, like, you don't need to do much, actually. That's when, when I came here to Cincinnati, it was finally came to, to place. When you get, you play your line, whatever you have in your, the note that you have in your brain, you play, and the rest will do the rest. Yeah. Whoever is playing with you. And you can, and that's enough. I you think like, I, I think that really comes across on the sun night. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, especially Josiah and Doug and and Matt, they are minimalists. Yeah, they're completely. I mean, for me, that's new because I'm not a minimalist. Yeah, we talked we talked about earlier. You know why um, owing a lot to like um, you know uh, Steve Reich and mm-hmm. Philip Glass and stuff. And, yeah. and I I think that really really works well. Like you were saying, like the monosyllabic things that you do. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you guys reach um, just like really beautiful, like mind meld, <laughs> you know. Where, yeah, yeah, and that's just like listening. I mean, that's new for me. It's very, very comfortable. Um, I know a lot of musicians that I worked in The Hague and Amsterdam with, and they would disagree mm-hmm. on that level because you're not supposed to feel comfortable when you're playing, mm. because that's the other side of free improv. You you don't need to know anything about the music, or that's what what you're going to what's the in what's the output going to be. But you need to be there hundred percent of something, mm-hmm. like full energy. It's about energy. It's not about sound anymore. The sound comes as a as a, um, you know, a, as a product of of the energy that you put in there. So 
it's better if if you don't have technique or whatever brings you that like you you should play with your fists on the piano and it will sound better than if you think about which note is right next you know Th that must be um back. yeah th th that must be a really uh kind of a scary but also sort of liberating process um especially playing out f live for like the first time or something like that mm -hmm. um is sort of like letting go of of technique and mm -hmm. um i always in this podcast i always talk about like nailing like the cent like Hendrix solo for you it's like you know like faithfully like recreating like a Brahms piece or like a Rachmaninoff piece or something like that not worrying about that um and taking kind of a, a something that we we associate with sort of um formality and, and and things like that and playing it as expressively yeah as as you can I I, I like that I, I really respond to that mm -hmm. But in the end, when you go to a show, are we dead? No, no, no. Is dead? No, no. Uh, when you go to a show, of course, it's it's just with improv, it's, it's more risky because um, you can, there is no material behind. Mm -hmm. You can have, if you have a song that you rehearsed and you know by heart, and then you go on stage and you don't really feel it, you still deliver the material. Yeah. With improv, if you don't feel the moment, you are and that's it yeah that's yeah yeah it you're done huh. you can just stop and go home you know and uh, but that's what happens also with improv if you fall on a good night of improv you know that uh, that's it you get you get like a fan for life you mm -hmm. know because people will search that thing yeah that because it's like once you get that reaction in the room it's like the audience is there immediately yes. you know what sound you know what the next sound supposed to be. Everybody in the room. Yeah, yeah, know yeah. Know yeah. what's the next sound, and if if you touch that sound there, it's a matter of like, uh, it's 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 a life. It's it, it's it, incredibly it, it's exciting, exciting. For, yeah. both for um both for the I'm sure for the musician nice. and as an audience member, mm -hmm. I I can speak for myself, mm -hmm. because it's like that movement didn't exist before this moment. Yeah. You know? Exactly. And and, and, and you yeah, the musician can tell that, the audience can tell that. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I mean I've mean, been to like some sun night. And that will work and that will pass also a recording. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if it's not there, if it if the mo if if this energy, the connection in the room itself mm -hmm. is not there, no matter how much you try. It's like it's not gonna work. Yeah, and I, I think and there there needs to be some um, level of patience, you know, from both mm -hmm. the musician and and it's the audience like, yeah. that um that give it some time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. No, it's just you need to accept that you it's this kind of night. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. That's it. Totally. That's and and that, that's one of the reasons why I love um, going to Sun Night is you know the, there's there's hits and misses, mm -hmm. but like the hits are like yeah. I mean like transcendent like yeah, yeah, yeah. we had yeah. their crazy moments now with the sunlight man we recorded we started it last year in what in march i don't know yes i, I march or either february or march last year okay we recorded every almost every session no kidding we have material of two sets Every week, this is stuff that you, I, I, we never listen to this stuff. Uh -huh. So we're in constant flux. I think I would love to just get some time to choose the the winning pieces mm -hmm. from this, but yeah. it's so difficult to do because the material, so much. the material that we did already is just 
it's gonna take probably full two weeks like 24 hours a day yeah to, to <laughs> just get listening that, just listening sure. once <laughs> i mean yeah yeah those are long long sets yeah so well cool well thank you Ophir. i think i think this is a, a probably good all right. Um, place to stop. Um, we All could right. go on and on and on. Yeah, but this yeah, has been yeah. a great conversation. Thanks I really appreciate for... you taking the time and sitting down and yeah, chatting with of me. Of course. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Of course. I'm gonna push stop. improv if you don't feel the moment you are that's it yeah that's yeah, yeah it you're done huh. you can just stop and go home you know 